Out front next, blackout. A man whose father and grandfather were killed in a bombing in Gaza can't communicate from Khan Yunus tonight because of a total blackout. He's been silenced. We'll tell you his story. This is longtime Israeli reporter Barack Ravid has new details in the hunt for Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar. He's out front. Plus, Putin speaking out for the first time about reports that he has a body double taking it on as a series of unflattering questions flashes across the screen during Putin's annual press conference. Like, how many yachts does Putin have? Why are so many people in Russia poor? Who is behind the scathing questions? And she may be the only Republican woman in the presidential race, but are women voters buying what Nikki Haley is selling? That is the latest story in our special series, Voters Out Front. So let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news, a blackout. Gaza's communications network non-existent. As of tonight, there is a near total blackout in Gaza. No way to get a message in or out. Just before the show, we tried to speak with a Palestinian man who is in Gaza. Now, when we first heard from Raid Redwan this morning, he was able to share with us some things. The video that you're looking at here, this is of shelling and flares outside his window of his home. At one point, he said he could hear the screams of his neighbors while the shelling was happening. His father and his grandfather both were killed. His home was completely destroyed. And he wanted to come on hours later to share his story with you, to talk about what life is like, what existing is like in Gaza. But he has been silenced. And as you can see from this graph, this is what the communications blackout looks like. And it is that orange line that juts down at the bottom. It is the sixth a near total blackout since the start of the war. Only 6% of places in Gaza have any kind of signal tonight. This is the Times of Israel is reporting this evening that Israel's flooding of tunnels in Gaza appears to have been successful. Now, it is not clear what successful means, but CNN has reported that the IDF was flooding some Hamas tunnels with seawater. And what is happening inside Gaza tonight is why the Biden administration is now pressing Israel to wrap up its sprawling ground invasion and air assault on Gaza. A senior U.S. official telling CNN they want Israel to start using smaller groups of forces and to carry out more precise missions, a move the United States believes would reduce mounting civilian casualties. As it is right now, and this is a stunning number from U.S. intelligence today, U.S. intelligence sources saying nearly half of all Israeli munitions dropped on Gaza are so-called dumb bombs, unguided bombs that certainly help explain the enormous civilian death toll, an issue that President Biden talked about today. Do you want Israel to scale back its assault on Gaza in, by the end of the year? Do you want them to tone it down, move to a lower intensity phase? I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives, not stop going after Hamas, but be more careful. Biden's vocal push to focus on saving civilian lives, though, is appearing to fall on deaf ears. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu making it clear that he's not about to tone it down or anything like that anytime soon. Our heroic soldiers have not fallen in vain. Out of the deep pain of their having fallen, we are more determined than ever to continue fighting until Hamas is eliminated, until absolute victory. Absolute victory. It's strong words, but does anybody know what absolute victory looks like? If it's absolute destruction, much of Gaza is already there. Just look at images like these and this one. This is a child in Gaza today, a child that our Clarissa Ward saw. 
Clarissa and her team were in and were the first Western media outlet to gain independent access to southern Gaza without an IDF escort. And Clarissa joins me now. So, Clarissa, some of those images of children you saw, um, one can only imagine what it was like for you to be there with them in person. What else did you see? Well, Erin, we have been trying for weeks and weeks to get into Gaza, uh, as many international journalists have. We've all been relying on the courageous reporting of journalists in Gaza who have been dying in record numbers trying to tell this story. And finally, we were able to gain access on Tuesday with a contingent of volunteers at a field hospital newly established by the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, um, built just uh, two weeks ago and already near capacity. Take a look at a clip from our story. Used to be right. a stadium. Arriving at the Emirati Field Hospital, we meet Sorry. Dr. Abdullah Al Nakbi. No sooner does our tour begin when. So, uh, our ambulance. And this is what you hear all the time now? Yes. At least 20 times a day. At least 20 times a day. Maybe more sometimes. Uh, I think we get used to it. One thing none of the doctors here have got used to is the number of children they are treating. The UN estimates that some two-thirds of those killed in this round of the conflict have been women and children. Eight-year-old Janan was lucky enough to survive a strike on her family home that crushed her femur but spared her immediate family. She says she's not in pain, so that's good. Her mother, Hiba, was out when it happened. I went to the hospital to look for her, she says, and I came here and I found her here. The doctors told me what happened with her, and I made sure that she's okay. Thank God. They bombed the house in front of us and then our home, Janan tells us. I was sitting next to my grandfather, and my grandfather held me, and my uncle was fine, so he is the one who took us out. Don't cry. But Dr. Ahmed Al-Mazrawi says it is hard not to. I work with old people, like uh, adults, but with children, no. Something touching your heart. Touches your heart and tests your faith in humanity. And Clarissa, as I said, these are images now that the world has seen that have moved so many to such anger and, and frustration, and yet you were confronted with it yourself to see it, to touch, to actually touch uh, a child, a mother, and others. Uh, how would you even describe what you saw when you were actually there in person after all these weeks to actually get there and to see these individual humans and what they're suffering? I think, Erin, what's so striking, honestly, we had a very short window of time that we were able to spend on the ground. And so you didn't expect to see that much suffering, that much bloodshed mm. in such a short window. And just after we were talking to Janan and her mother, Heba, that doctor came back and said, 
the blast you heard a couple of minutes ago, the casualties are starting to come in. And we went to the front area where the ambulances come in. They brought in a man whose foot was hanging off. They brought in a 13-year-old boy who also was missing half of his leg. We also talked to a, a very young little boy, under two years old, called Amir, who doesn't yet understand that his parents and two of his siblings were killed uh, in a strike on his family home that has left him disfigured. He is now really alone, except for his aunt, Nahia. And so I don't think anything really prepares you, honestly, for seeing that in person in such an intense and impactful way where in such a short period of time, it does, absolutely. You, I, you know, it's, it's a punch in the gut. It's, it's not something that I think even after covering conflict for all these years that, that you can ever really uh, get used to or feel unmoved by. Mm. Well, Clarissa Ward, uh, I know we are all we are all grateful and everyone is grateful that you were able to get that access uh, to show the world because it is obviously so important and so significant. And uh, you were able to do it, obviously, uh, with, uh, without the IDF. So this is you really being able to, to look at it yourself. Clarissa Ward, uh, thank you so much. And Clarissa Ward, of course, uh, in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, as, as she reported, she was at a UAE-run uh, field hospital in southern Gaza. Out front now, Barack Ravid, our political and global affairs analyst. And uh, Barack, it is, it is things like Clarissa saw that is moving the world and moving the Biden administration to push uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to, to, to end this, to pull this, to get this to a different phase. Uh, I know you've been getting some new details about uh, Jake Sullivan's meeting with Israeli officials today where they talked about this. What did they discuss from your reporting? Hi, and uh, good evening. I think that a big part of the conversation that uh, uh, Jake Sullivan had today in Tel Aviv, it was a, a, a series of meetings, one after the other, and the issue of civilian casualties was obviously one of the main issues uh, that he discussed. But as you said, I think one of the key topics that is part of the disagreement, the current disagreement between the U.S. and Israel is when do you take the current operation that is very, very high intensity operation and scale it down to what the Israeli and U.S. officials call a low intensity uh, operation? And the U.S. wants this thing to turn into a low intensity operation uh, within weeks because First, it will get civilian casualties uh, down. It will allow more humanitarian uh, assistance into Gaza. And I think most importantly, the U.S. believes that once the high-intensity phase is over, regional tensions in Lebanon, in Syria, in Yemen, all of those will go down and the risk of a regional war will decrease. So a senior U.S. official said today, and this is sort of referring to the heart of this, I mean, again, Netanyahu is not defined what absolute victory means in the context uh, that they're actually fighting. But this U.S. official said that Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar's days are, quote, numbered. And that Sinwar had, quote, U.S. blood on his hands. And the, 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 the quote continued, doesn't matter how long it takes, but justice will be served on Sinwar. And you think uh, just the, the putting what, what here appears to be sort of basic facts, but to come formally out of a U.S. official's mouth uh, is significant. Why? What does it tell you, Barack? Uh, first, I think that's uh, the first time we hear such a thing from uh, a senior U.S. official. And I think that's signal 
that the White House basically wants uh, Yihya Sinwar dead. Uh, and there's a reason for it. Uh, because both uh, Israeli officials and U.S. officials say privately that once Ikhya Sinwar is eliminated, you get one step, big step, closer to ending the war. Mm. Because I think that both uh, U.S. and Israel are looking for, let's call it, an event that will make it clear both uh, uh, to uh, the region and to the world that uh, Hamas was defeated and the elimination of its leadership is definitely uh, such a, such an incident. So, you know, obviously last week Netanyahu made the point, you know, saying Sinwar's home and Khan Yunus was surrounded. And, and it sort of made everyone think, what's he saying? It's surrounded and you know he's there and are they about to do something? Uh, but it didn't mean that. Uh, he, at least so far as we yeah. know, there's been no inkling of him being caught yet or, or of anyone knowing exactly where he is. Um, Obviously, this is, you know, it's a small place, deep network of tunnels uh, of which Israeli intelligence knows a lot about it. I mean, how hard is it going to be to get him? And, and what are you hearing about the failure to do so thus far? Well, it's going to be very hard because Israeli officials uh, admit that he's somewhere in a tunnel 100 feet below the ground. And I think that what they're looking for is for him to make a mistake. And Israeli officials say we have... A lot of forces there in Khan Yunis. They're moving from one part of the city to another part of the city. They're putting more pressure on Hamas leadership. And I think uh, uh, Israel is just waiting for Sinwar and his associates to make a mistake, to move from one hiding place to the other so that Israeli intelligence can pick it up and then uh, try and target them. All right. And obviously they're, they're still waiting for that now. All right. Thank you very much, Brock. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Aaron. All right, Brock Rafid, as I said, uh, senior reporter uh, on all of this. Next, verdict watch. The fate of Rudy Giuliani in a jury's hands tonight. Will they award two former election workers in Georgia $48 million? And what is the truth about Rudy Giuliani's amount of money that he even has anyway? Plus, Putin, for the first time, talking about a body double after he was actually presented with this image on television. And why is America's largest credit union rejecting more than half of its black mortgage applicants? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tonight, a decision that could cost Rudy Giuliani more than $48 million that he doesn't have is now in the hands of a jury. Giuliani was found liable for spreading lies and ruining the reputations of two Georgia poll workers after the 2020 election. 
Deliberations over how much he has to pay. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss will resume tomorrow. A verdict could come at any time. And Jessica Schneider is out front tonight with more on what unfolded in that courtroom today. You heard one side. Stay tuned for my testimony. Rudy Giuliani promised at the start of his trial that he would take the stand to defend himself in the defamation case against him. But minutes before the final day of trial was set to start, Giuliani backed out. His lawyer telling the jury Giuliani didn't testify because we feel these women have been through enough. The lawyer for former Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss essentially saying the contrived compassion coming too late after years of threats and harassment they say they endured because of Giuliani. He shouldn't die, you fucking racist. You the best fucking doing this. The torrent of voicemails Freeman and Moss received after the 2020 election played in court for the jury deciding how much to award the women. The judge has already ruled that Giuliani is liable. Now it's just a question of how much he will pay. Freeman and Moss are asking a jury for at least $48 million. Their lawyers pointed to these comments from Giuliani outside court this week to prove that Giuliani still is not remorseful. Of course I don't regret it. I told the truth. They, they were engaged in changing votes. Hello, everyone. Giuliani first made comments about Freeman and Moss after the 2020 election, including to a Georgia State Senate committee investigating alleged but unfounded voter fraud. It's a tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shea Freeman Moss and one other gentleman. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious to anyone who's a criminal investigator or prosecutor, they are engaged in surreptitious illegal activity again that day. The mother and daughter detailed in hours of emotional testimony on the stand how these false allegations upended their lives. They received death threats, they've been forced into hiding, and they've been turned down for jobs. They also recounted the agony for the January 6th committee. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. It's affected my life in a, in a major way, in every way. All because of lies. I feel like I'm defending the rights of all Americans. Giuliani has refused to back down from the lies even now, years after his rampage that the 2020 election was rigged. It's enough to overturn any election. It's disgraceful what happened. And Giuliani spread wildly false claims. Gee, just about the 700,000 votes that President Trump was ahead by two days ago that disappeared. Now, ultimately, Rudy Giuliani might be unable to pay. For months, Giuliani has been buried by legal bills that his own lawyers say he has no money to pay. Giuliani is not only defending against this defamation case, but he faces several other civil lawsuits and his law license has been suspended. Plus, he's been indicted by the Fulton County District Attorney for his alleged involvement in the fake elector scheme. Aaron, Jessica, thank you very much. And next, questions that would get any Russian arrested today actually flashed on a screen during a Putin press conference behind him right there. Questions like, why is your reality different to our reality? And, and like this, how many yachts does Putin have? So who was behind these questions? How did this happen? That's next. Plus, is the only woman in the GOP race also winning the woman vote? That's why I think you need a badass woman in charge at the White House. <laughs> Jeff Zeleny has the latest in our series, Voters Out Front. Tonight, quote, don't run for another term as president. Make way for the young. 
That's just one of several seemingly verboten questions that flashed on screen for Vladimir Putin during his annual year-end press conference. Another pointed question actually focused on Russia's economy, and it asked, quote, why do we have so many poor people? A third focused on the dishonesty of Russian state television. I mean, that's sort of incredible, right? It asked, quote, Mr. President, when will the real Russia not differ from television Russia? Now, what's interesting is you could see these on the screen, but Putin actually never answered any of the tough questions that, curiously and unexpectedly, did flash across the screen during his highly pre-produced four-hour press conference. But how did they slip through? Or was the Kremlin somehow in on it? Matthew Chance was actually in the room with Putin, and he's out front. This was Putin's first big news conference since his invasion of Ukraine nearly two years ago. For hours, the Kremlin leader answered carefully picked questions, restating Russian objectives in what he calls his special military operation. There will be peace when we achieve our goals. They haven't changed. This is the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine and its neutral status. For the first time, Putin revealed more than 600,000 troops are currently in the conflict zone. But he gave no indication of losses, which U.S. intelligence estimates are extremely high. The Russian leader did, however, indicate he believed Western resolve on Ukraine may be crumbling, significant, as American aid for Ukraine is held up in the U.S. Congress. Today, Ukraine produces almost nothing. They are trying to preserve something, but they produce almost nothing. They get everything, excuse the bad manners, for free. But this freebie may end someday. And apparently, it is ending. One Russian reporter asked Putin about recent Ukrainian gains across the Dnipro River. They're just small areas, Putin said, in which Ukrainian forces are now highly exposed. I don't know why they are doing it. They are pushing their people to get killed. It's a one-way trip for Ukrainian forces. The reason for this are political, because Ukrainian leaders are begging foreign countries for aid. This was a highly staged event with carefully vetted questions. But a live stream of public texts threw up a few surprising challenges. How many yachts does Putin have? Asked one anonymous message. Why is your reality different to our reality? Asked another. A glimpse behind the curtain, perhaps, into what some Russians are really thinking. In a bizarre moment, a Russian child appeared in a video message asking if her family would ever be replaced by robots. Moderator then played an extraordinary video of what she said was a deep fake image of Putin asking the real Russian leader if he had many doubles. You're the first, Putin responded. Though of course, there are rumors he has many. I see you can look like me and speak in my voice, but I thought about it and have decided that only one person should look like me and speak in my voice, and that person would be me. Meanwhile, as Putin held court, U.S. journalist Evan Gershkovich actually appeared in one. Another appeal against his detention for alleged espionage denied. 
though Putin indicated talks to return detained Americans are ongoing. It's not that we refuse their return. We do not refuse. We want to negotiate, and the agreements must be mutually acceptable and satisfactory to both sides. What Russia wants, though, remains unclear. Matthew, it's incredible that the child asked about her family being replaced by robots and the moderator then using that to actually ask him directly about body doubles. And one would presume, given the pre-produced nature of the questions he answered, that, that he wanted to answer that one. But he did not answer those other questions that you mentioned, some of the yacht, uh, people upset about inflation, uh, your reality different to ours. Sensitive and controversial questions that people could get arrested for. Who do you think wrote them? Yeah, it's very odd, isn't it? Because you know, this, as I mentioned, was a highly choreographed event. Uh, each of those questions was carefully vetted. And so it's astonishing that these made it onto that sort of ticker board. But there were more than two million questions answered, uh, sorry, asked. Um, and so presumably some of these just managed to get through. And if that's the case, as I said, it offers us a very interesting glimpse into what many Russians outside of this staged event are actually thinking what they actually want to answer. Yeah, it certainly is. And as you say, astonishing whether they, if it was vetted and they knew they were coming and allowed it or didn't didn't know they were coming. I mean, no matter what the reality is, uh, it is it is truly astonishing. All right. Matthew Chance, thank you very much. And Matthew, as I said, in Moscow and was in uh, that room uh, today with Vladimir Putin out front now, Roman Badanin. He is an independent Russian journalist, the founder and editor in chief of the investigative journalism outlet. So, Roman, it is good to talk to you again. So you have Hello. reported on the speculation that Putin uses body doubles uh, due to health problems and other, and other reasons. And at that press conference, the AI image comes up that looks like Putin, speaks like Putin. And the moderator asked, asked me if he used body doubles. So this is the pre-produced part, like he wanted the question. <laughs> he was prepared for it, felt the need to address it. What did you make of this entire moment? Yeah. Uh, hello, Erin. Uh, good, good to see you. Of course. So I do believe that the question about Putin's double was 100% staged by Putin's press service. And at least once in the past, Putin was also asked about his double. And both now and then he answered that he didn't have a double. And we as journalists, I can only repeat that, we believe that Putin most likely is not lying and there is no double. But it was important for the Kremlin right now to once again inform ordinary people in Russia that Putin is healthy and doesn't need a double. And why was this done? Well, I guess it's needed to show that Putin is in great political and physical shape ahead of his, you know, it's his, his term. Mm. Yeah, his, his election. But it, interesting, as you point out, right, that if if he did address it, it's because he felt the need, that they actually felt it mattered, even when in what, of course, is, uh, is, is not a, a real election. All right. So Putin today gives his press conference to a whole room of people kept at a distance. And Matthew Chance was in that room. So he was there with all those reporters who was talking about it. You have a new report 
and Precht detailing what you call the odd precautions that Putin takes to keep people at a certain distance from him. So you see him there, even that table that he's at with the moderator. I mean, it's massive. It's not the way a normal TV table is set up. Uh, the images of him that sort of is, is reflects this image, you know, that that long table he had during COVID where the heads of state would sit so far away. And there are large distances between him and public audiences we see all the time, even outdoors, uh, like in uh, a video that, that we're showing here, right? He's on a stage alone. It's outdoors. Everyone's so far away. He spoke at a, an event this fall. Uh, he spoke via video to a group of moderators, but the moderators were literally in the room next to him. So they, these people were on the room next to him, and he didn't actually want to appear with them. What is your conclusion, Roman, on why he is doing this? Uh, well, just to attract your attention, uh, the journalists today were not really close to Putin. That was a kind of quite enough distance between between him and the audience. And uh, you are right. We did a, like a big investigation, uh, and we examined the recordings of all like five hundreds or so Putin's public events for the year from October twenty twenty two to October twenty twenty three. And we found Putin's, let's say, strange behavior. Firstly, Putin still observes a fairly strict quarantine, despite the fact that the World Health Organization has long declared the pandemic over. At most events, there is either no one next to him, or they are officials and journalists who are definitely quarantined. In some cases, when Putin speaks from the stage, for example, they even build kind of special fans between him and Russian people. And sometimes it looks pretty funny. And the conclusion we have is that Putin sometimes like, well, he's still, he's still afraid of people. He's still afraid for his health and his like, his, sa his safety. Hmm which uh, shows just a brief glimpse uh, into his, his mind and what appears to certainly be a, an irrational paranoia, in, at least in the uh, health case. All right, thank you very much, Roman. Appreciate it. And next, Nikki Haley on a mission to bring suburban women back to the GOP. Is she succeeding? The latest in our series, Voters Out Front, is next, plus the nation's largest credit union rejecting more than half of its black mortgage applicants. When they denied is when we came back and said, oh man, there's something else going on. What is that something else? A CNN exclusive investigation is next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, Nikki Haley doubling down. She is breaking with the far right, specifically on the case of a Texas woman who was denied an abortion that her doctors had prescribed and that her doctor said was necessary to protect her health. Haley is not afraid of this. She is doubling down. And this is what she told voters in New Hampshire today. We don't want to see a woman have a rare condition like that and have to carry the baby full term. 
every state is you're going to see them make changes whether it's listening to their medical board, whether it's deciding what role the doctor is going to have. And that's the right way for it to, do, to happen. Now, as she answered that, she did stop short of directly criticizing the decision made by the Texas Supreme Court. The question is, though, will Haley's position on abortion and other issues resonate with women voters? Jeff Zeleny has more in our series, Voters Out Front. That's why I think you need a badass woman in charge at the White House. Nikki Haley is trying to break the highest glass ceiling in politics, but you won't hear her say so, at least not directly. And that's just fine with many of her admirers. I think we're past the point of talking about that. She's, she's a candidate, male or female, she's a strong candidate. Thalia Flores has a front row seat to the New Hampshire primary and to Haley's rise whether or not it's history-making. I mean, it'd be great to have a female president, but that's not what it's about. As she courts all voters, Haley takes great care to walk a fine line, wielding gender as a humorous shield. I love all the attention, fellas. Thank you for that. <laughs> and a defensive sword. They're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Helene Hagar is blunt about her feelings that it's high time for a woman in the White House. It's time to get the testosterone out of the White House and put a woman in there, um, but a specific woman, uh, not Kamala Harris, uh, but Nikki Haley. At campaign rallies, it's a sentiment echoing from Iowa. She's smart, she's tough, um, and she's passionate. To South Carolina. She is level-headed and speaks to the issues rather than a lot of rhetoric. Haley is on a quest to draw suburban women back to the Republican Party after so many fled during the era of Donald Trump. Her support among that key demographic is a leading reason she fares better in a hypothetical contest against President Biden, polls show, even as a strong majority of Republican women still back Trump. We know her as Crooked Hillary, but to Nikki Haley, she's her role model. Allies of Ron DeSantis are trying to compare Haley to Hillary Clinton in new TV ads that have been debunked as misleading. Haley is on the air with ads of her own, featuring her husband, a National Guardsman in uniform. American strength doesn't start wars, it prevents them. That's what I'll do as president. As the final chapter of the primary comes into view, Haley now rarely repeats a rallying cry from her announcement earlier this year. May the best woman win. She makes clear she's neither campaigning on gender politics nor identity, a balance voters like Erin Jorgensen take note of. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean I'm gonna vote for you. You have to be, you have to be the right person. And I'm just happy that maybe the right person is finally a woman. Whether talking about abortion. I don't think the fellas have known how to talk about it properly. Or the economy. It hasn't been an easy time for young families at all. Haley often infuses her answers with her life experience as a woman and a mother, which draws admiration from her crowds. She's my voice. She speaks for me. But Vicki Schwegler makes clear that's not why she intends to give Haley her vote. I would say it's time for the right resume. We're not looking at somebody, and we're not going to box anybody in because you're a woman, because you're a first-generation American. That's not who Republicans are. You know, it's so amazing, Jeff, just to watch over the past years, you know, being in New Hampshire, I remember talking to, at the time, Democratic voters about Hillary Clinton, right, and why they were voting for her and the role gender played. And I kept hearing those voters you were talking to that they're not voting for her because she's a woman. Uh, they like that, but that's not the reason that there are other, that she has to be the right person. Um, and, and I thought that was significant in all of your reporting. She's obviously got enthusiasm from voters you spoke to there. 
But she still has a lot of ground to make up, doesn't she? Well, Aaron, considerable ground to make up. I mean, the reality is Donald Trump is still the commanding leader in this race in New Hampshire, in Iowa, and in fact, um, all across the country, and even in Democratic demographic groups, including women. But there is no doubt the enthusiasm is there. Now, of course, not all of her supporters are women and not all Republican women are voting for her. But the history making potential of this uh, is really coming alive in the final weeks of the New Hampshire primary. She's only the fifth Republican woman to run a major presidential campaign. So that, of course, is at the heart of all of this. But you're right, Aaron. She's not running as a woman. She just simply happens to be one. Yeah. And it is it is it is it is a difference and is a distinction uh, that that seems to to matter. All right. Thanks very much, Jeff Zeleny. You bet. And out front next, a CNN exclusive investigation, the nation's largest credit union rejecting more than half its black mortgage applicants. It's something that's going to affect the generation all the way down to their kids. Plus tonight, a former FBI intelligence chief now heading to prison for helping Putin's henchmen. Tonight, a Texas entrepreneur, CEO of his own company with a stellar credit score, denied a mortgage by the nation's largest credit union, the same credit union where more than half of black conventional mortgage applicants were rejected last year. So what's happening? CNN's Renee Marsh has this exclusive investigation. But it really is a nice neighborhood, you know. Baba Tandi, a Kenyan immigrant turned Texas entrepreneur, knew this was his dream home the moment he saw it. It's in a highly sought-after school district that his son so desperately wanted to attend for its basketball program. So how many homes did you look at before you found this one and said this was it? We had about six, but this was the one that we we all wanted, and we were all praying to get this one. Otandi's first choice for his mortgage was Navy Federal Credit Union. It services military members, defense personnel, veterans, and their families, and is the largest credit union in the country. I was the CEO of my company, so I had a pretty good income. Your credit was in the 700s. Mm-hmm. You would recently sold your house. Mm-hmm. You had $100,000 for the down payment, which was more than 20%. Correct. I mean... What more could we ask for? CNN reviewed Otandi's financial documents. He even had a pre-approval letter from Navy Federal in hand, but just two weeks before closing. They got a denial. They sent me a letter saying, you're sorry, but your application has been denied. Were you stunned, surprised? I mean, I was stunned. I was shocked. I was hurt. The denial letter listed excessive obligations in relation to income as the reason. When they denied is when we came back and said, oh man, there's something else going on. And what did you think that something else was? Discrimination. But it wasn't just a tondi. Thousands of other black applicants were also rejected. According to a CNN analysis of federal consumer protection data, last year, Navy Federal Credit Union only approved 48 percent. That's less than half of its black applicants for conventional home mortgages. White borrowers were approved more than 75 percent of the time. It's the biggest gap among the top 50 lenders. The data also shows Navy Federal was more than twice as likely to deny black mortgage applicants than white ones, even when different variables, including income, debt, property value, and down payment percentage were the same. I feel validated at one point, but also I feel a bit of anger because it shouldn't be happening. Two weeks after Navy Federal rejected him, another bank approved Atandi for a mortgage. 
Navy Federal Credit Union denied CNN's request for an on-camera interview. In a statement, it said it is committed to equal and equitable lending practices and that CNN's recent analysis does not account for major criteria required by any financial institution to approve a mortgage loan. That includes credit scores, which are not public. Navy Federal declined to provide additional data. We asked Navy Federal why Bob Otondi's loan was denied, but they declined to comment, citing member privacy. CNN's analysis does not prove discrimination, but it does show dramatic racial disparities in who Navy Federal rejects and approves for conventional mortgage loans. The black-white homeownership gap and the Latino-white homeownership gap today are both wider than they were in 1968 when we passed the Federal Fair Housing Act. Lisa Rice has spent decades as a fair housing advocate. She says the disparities in Navy Federal's lending data are alarming and an extreme example of a bigger problem. It's definitely a larger systemic issue. And we know that we have a long history of redlining and a long history of lending discrimination in this nation. Well, all of that, that data that is sort of tainted with bias is being used to develop the credit scoring systems. We got the house, thank God, and we moved on. But what about the ones who are denied? What about the ones who now don't, can't get their own dream house? It's something that's going to affect the generation all the way down to their kids. I mean, Renee, you know, watching this, I mean, it's just incredibly striking. You go through his credit score, his job, his down payment. I mean, all of that in place. You know, it, it, in a sense, it's disturbing just on the basics, right? There's a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. There are supposed to be safeguards in place to prevent this sort of thing. Right. That's right. So that is the agency that oversees consumer lending. Uh, it told us that they don't comment on specific institutions, but they say that they do conduct investigations to ensure that banks and credit unions are following fair lending practices. But we do want to point out if there is anyone out there, Aaron, who feels like they may have been denied a mortgage because of their race or ethnicity, they should file a complaint with their local housing uh, and urban development department or the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Aaron. All right. Renee, thank you very much uh, for that. It's such important reporting. And next, a former FBI chief heading to prison. Why? A former FBI chief for helping a Russian oligarch. And finally tonight, a former FBI counterintelligence official sentenced to four years in prison for helping the man known as Putin's henchman. According to prosecutors, Charles McGonigal used what he learned while working at the FBI to cozy up to the Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Now, prosecutors say that he tried to get Deripaska off the U.S. sanctions list. He was banned from entering the country for a long time. He also admitted to helping Deripaska dig up dirt on a rival oligarch for a hefty fee. And before McGonagall was sentenced, he told the judge that he has a deep sense of remorse and sorrow for his actions. McGonagall is also actually waiting to be sentenced in a separate case for concealing hundreds of thousands of dollars that he accepted from a former employee of Albania's intelligence agency. Well, thanks so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.